Can we give Jeff Collins like the really intense Little League helicopter Ooh. dad? Yeah, I could totally see that. I also feel like Jeff Collins is the dad that would like try to rap at his daughter's like school dance and his daughter is just like mortified by him. Like because he knows all the lyrics to whatever the most popular rap song is and he she's like, Dad, please. Yeah, he would show up and uh, do like three songs of karaoke at a Myrtle Beach uh, beach bar just unironically at about three o'clock in the afternoon. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I am struggling with my voice right now, but I'm going to make this work. I'm Lauren Brownlow. Uh, it's actually better than it was um, after the Carolina Duke game um, when I basically was being told in the press box, do not talk, um, which is very hard for me um, <laughs> during games. Uh, I'm joined, though, by Chad Floyd from Tar Heel Blog. Um, of all the results this past weekend, certainly that was probably one of the most significant ones. And Chad, I don't know if you saw this stat, um, a way to worthy uh, from ESPN stats and info um, tweeted out that Carolina, I think is the only team to have seven of its first eight games decided by like one score um, in the AP poll era. Yeah, I saw that <laughs> uh, I think yesterday and it just kind of reflects everything I've always thought about UNC football, which it's going to be the death of me <laughs> one of these days. And yeah, yeah, I mean, to to see it put actually in compelling statistical form was really nice. So uh, shout out to Brian for that. Yeah, it's I I hear you on that one because like I I grew up watching it myself um, and I I grew up going to a lot of games and yeah. That's about right. Although I think they, Carolina's probably come out on the good end of more of these um, than I'm used to seeing, for sure. Well, more than zero <laughs> is, uh, by definition, better. <laughs> um, and that Duke game, well, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. Carolina wins it 20-17. to 17. Um, the, Just a lot of things about that game were completely completely wild um most of carolina carolina's games have been like that quite frankly this year where you're just kind of shaking your head and going wow this game really has everything i mean the virginia tech game was that way with the you know getting the two-point conversion off in overtime and uh, you know this icing your own kicker sure sure and then that same iced kicker getting benched for jonathan kim who bless him when he came in to, t- to kick that first extra point I immediately was like, oh, no. And then when they had him try the 52-yard field goal against Duke, I was like, oh, boy, this is not... That was just cruel, wasn't it? It was weird, right? Like, how is that the first field goal you let that dude try? Like, a 52-yarder. And what was it, like a fourth and eight? Like, that's that's in go-for-it territory, because UNC's definitely shown the propensity to go for a lot of fourth downs under Brown. Um so, yeah, that, that whole thing struck me as weird. It's like, you know, give the dude who barely made his first extra point, you know, give him a chippy before before you throw him to the wolves there. Yeah, and it was clear after that they needed to bring Noah Ruggles back in, and credit to him, he made uh, both field goals he attempted, the, including the one that ended up being, you know, the gate winner. Um, so, you know, it, it, good for him for that, because I w- what I was concerned with when I heard that Mac was doing this, was benching him, was like, okay, that's fine. Noah has been okay, not amazing, but you better be sure that the dude behind him is going to be good because kickers are so, I feel like the mental part of their game is so important. And if you lose him mentally, like you're kind of screwed, but credit to him for being pretty mentally tough. Yeah. I mean, 
Just look at uh, Roberto Aguayo once he got to the NFL with the Buccaneers after being awesome at Florida State. Um, just, you know, you miss one and then it gets in your head and then you get the dreaded vote of confidence or in this case, no confidence. And that's basically the career right there. So big credit to Noah Ruggles for coming out. Um, I thought he missed the first one, actually, but second one was pure. So that that was really cool to see. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of right in that I felt like Brown almost scapegoated him a little bit uh, after the Virginia Tech game. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's completely fair. Yeah, I was I, I saw some people that were tweeting at me and saying that on the broadcast, they had been saying that um, they had been considering pulling Ruggles. Like they said that on the Virginia Tech broadcast that so they had been considering making a switch. So if that's the case, then, yeah, I get how that puts you over the top a little bit. But like, again, that's cool. But you better be sure that the dude you have coming in for him can do it. But maybe maybe Mac wanted to push him a little bit and just say like, hey, you know, nobody's job is 100 percent secure. Like we're going to push you a little bit. And I guess it worked. I just never think of kickers as ones to respond to that kind of thing. Nah, the, the mentally tough kicker is the mentally tough college kicker is never a phrase I have uh, thought to say out loud. <laughs> I mean, look, college kickers exist as a hashtag for a reason. But yeah, I mean, it was a pretty crazy game. Sam Howell for a while had the stat line that I called the Georgia Tech quarterback stat line. That doesn't mean he looks like a Georgia Tech quarterback. I just mean the stat line was very evocative of that because he had like a bunch of yards per completion but his completion percentage was not great it ended up being I mean not amazing but better than it was at certain points of that game and he the throws he makes it's a little bit like I compared it after the game and I don't want to people to think I'm comparing the two quarterbacks, but it's a little bit like when Trevor Lawrence is off and then he hits one or two throws that you go, oh, okay, yeah. Like you can kind of see why, why people go crazy over him. And I think Howell had those moments too. Like some of the throws he made, you were just like, okay, yeah, this is this is why this guy is the real deal. Yeah, I was arguing in, uh, in both the Tar Heel Blog Slack channel and on Twitter with uh, people because a lot of people were mad online just uh, with how the offense was operating. Um, not really doing much in the short and intermediate passing game. I thought that was more about what Duke was doing. They were kind of running, you know, what I was calling just a really aggressive cover too, making sure that Carolina was getting nothing kind of in the slant or flat area. So, you know, people said, well, all Longo does is throw the ball deep. And my takeaway was that that was what was there. And you're still looking at 8.7 yards an attempt, um, obviously like 23 yards of completion. So, you know, my big takeaway from that was, Longo, very similar to Fedora before him, except I'd say a little bit more coherently, is a guy who's going to take what the defense is allowing them to have. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and you're right. And look, Duke, Duke's defense is no joke. Like Duke's defense is good. And, and, and they, you know, they, they're able to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And I thought Carolina actually did a pretty good job of, of making sure Sam Howell didn't get hit a ton. He made some poor decisions. I thought maybe hanging onto the ball a little bit too long at times and trying to make something happen. I, th- I thought at least one of his picks was pretty bad, but that's, he's a freshman. He's going to make mistakes like that. And, you know, the throws he made, it, you, you look at the two stat lines of the two quarterbacks and you might say that, you know, Quentin Harris's stat line looks good when you first glance at it. But I mean, and I like Quentin Harris as a person. I real I want to reiterate this because he's a really neat kid, but like he doesn't scare defensive coordinators the way Sam Howell does. Yeah, I was I haven't really gotten many good eyes on Duke since the Alabama game, which, you know, that's not going to reflect really anything. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised they didn't get 
more outside run. I know they ran a little bit of option there early in the season, but yeah, it, yeah. it was a weird thing to me too, that they, they didn't go back to that. Um, that's something that they've had some success with. And for whatever reason, they just tried to kind of turn Quentin into more of a pure passer. And I didn't think they, I think they were really trying to exploit some of Carolina's losses in the secondary, but uh, you know, oh, which one? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and then they lose Storm Duck at the beginning of that game, and you just go, "Oh my goodness!" You know, where do they have any more cornerbacks? Can they just convert to wide receivers? But yeah, um, and and Carolina, I thought after an initial start of the game where I thought they passed a little too much, they they Longo settled back into the run. They were able to run the ball on Duke, and that I think was what sort of you know gave them success. They were a little more patient with it, and they ran the ball pretty well against the Duke defense that's been pretty good against the run, and. You know, Duke, Duke's offense just sort of is what it is right now, but their defense has given a lot of teams problems. And Carolina did, you know, just enough. And then that drive at the end of the game for Duke uh, was, you know, it was a thing that happened. It, it, that's just let's just put it that way. But the whole last three minutes were a thing that oh happened because because the heels are up driving. They've got the fourth and four. They get the conversion there, and you're like, all right, we're we're going to worst case, we're going to bleed their timeouts take this game down to about a minute left and either score a touchdown or give them the ball back in the shadow of their own goalpost. Cue Javante Williams fumbling. Cue all of my PTSD coming back to a head. All the blood rushing to just everywhere in my body and saying, oh boy, here we go again. Um, yeah, that that the jump pass interception, I've, I've got no words. <laughs> It was just wild to me. And at first, when I first saw it, it looked like uh, Deion Jackson, like two hand pushed it, which reminded me of the Surratt interception from two years earlier. And I was like, oh, my God, life just came full circle for Chaz Surratt. Like he just caught a two handed chest pass interception. Um, (laughs) But really, he just got like pushed in the chest. And that's why it looked like that, I think. Um, I think it's close enough to where you can have a McConaughey gift there. Just a time is a flat circle. circle. Yeah. And how, how neat for Chaz Surratt. Like he's, he's just had such a great year and it's such a great story. I think it's awesome that he's playing like this. Um, from like a, what does this mean standpoint? Carolina had to have this for a bowl, in my opinion, just had just like, I mean, basically the Mercer game, you can count that as a win. So that would have given them four if they didn't have this game, but then they would have had to win a two of at Pitt, NC state at home and then Virginia at home. Like, they could, but that's asking a ton. And now they just have to get one of those. And I think that they can. So, Yeah. And, and the other thing is, it's just a monkey off their back because you have the three-year losing streak to FBS teams uh, in state, which includes App State and e- two games against ECU, um, in addition to the three-game losing streak against Duke, which would have been four, and State, and Wake. Um <laughs> So it's, it, it was really nice just to get that monkey off their back and kind of move on to the next thing. Just um, kind of trying to whitewash the last couple of years of the Fedora era here. Yeah, I know. That's a really good point, too. The in-state streak was really important. Um, yeah, and that's that's just, I mean, look, Duke's in the situation it's in right now. And I, you know, are they going to make a bowl? I don't know. Um, their offense is just super, super limited. And I think everybody knows that that they play against. And um you know, who knows though? It's the coastal. So we don't know. Yeah. They could, they, <laughs> like, who's to say they won't beat Miami? I can't say that. Who's to say they won't beat Wake? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're two and three. So as per the prophecy, they've got two more wins left on the schedule uh, to oh, get 100%. Four four. Yeah. Yeah. So they got, they clearly got nothing to worry about. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I wanted to get into that game first since, you know, since I have you. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I always like to go chronologically. I don't know why. That's just sort of my weird impulse with these games. And Miami Pitt, Miami Pitt, oh dear. Mark Ennis uh, from <laughs> Covers Louisville did say, when you look directly at Pitt, they will do some weird things. And that's what happened. Um, oh boy. Yeah. Yikes. It was uh, it, it was very much, and this calls back to the uh, episode of Shutdown Fullcast that you and I both attended, where yeah. Ryan Nanny said, "Well, NC State's like the ghost in um, in Super Mario, where if you look at it, it'll uh, hide, but if you look away, it'll uh, sneak up on you and get you." Uh, Pitt is very much that team in the coastal, and Dios mio, <laughs> man. Um, <laughs> Oh, how many games, by the way, because Pitt outgained Miami, and I know that can be kind of a flawed stat, but Pitt outgained Miami 322 to 208. I wonder how many games in the Coastal have actually been lost by the team that gained more yardage. Probably like more than half of them. I mean, I I feel like, yeah, I I, I would say that if you win the turnover battle and you win in total yards, you're probably going to lose the game because that's the ACC Coastal rule. Well, to be fair, Pitt lost the turnover battle and badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, three turnovers, a lot of them early uh, to just one for Miami. Now, to be fair, Miami couldn't really do anything with those turnovers, but uh, Pitt, yeah, Pitt was just uh, a little bit of a hot mess. Um, my biggest surprise, too, and I don't know how this happened, it almost makes me want to watch this game, which also makes me think I have a problem of some sort, um, that Pitt only had two sacks on that awful Miami offensive line. I'm not sure how that happened. Yeah, I, I got to see a little bit of this one. For some reason, Miami's offensive line looked competent, which, when you again, when you look at the stat line, that doesn't really make any sense. Miami averaged two yards per rush, but they were getting a decent push uh, for Cameron Harris a little bit. Um, nothing about this game really made sense at all, Lauren. It's it, it, it just kind of the thing. And here was kind of my big takeaway. I thought Jaron Williams was still hurt. So I was wondering why he wasn't uh, starting over Nikosi Perry, but then he showed up and led that nice drive at the end of the game. But I felt like they've kind of benched him since that Virginia Tech game where he was turning it over a bunch and they brought in Nikosi for the kind of a spark. And that was that. And they've, really haven't gone back to him, but they credit to Manny. Like he was like, when, when Nkosi wasn't getting it done, he was like, I'm going to bring in Jaron and give us a spark. And it worked. Um, I was really happy for him. Yeah. And what's ridiculous to me is that it took that long because Jaron Williams was legitimately good for the first, what, three or four weeks of the season. Well, I, I mean, I guess he was, he looked good against uh, Ford and UNC. And then uh, the next two games, maybe not so much against, Bethu- well, Bethune Cookman, I'm sure he did. Um, yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't really feel like he got a fair shake because, you know, Virginia Tech, one of those interceptions was on tip ball and, you know, you kind of lose the moment and they just went away from him. So credit to him for coming back and uh, making that play and making the ACC Coastal all the more ACC Coastally. It really is. I it, It's it's become art and I love it so much. Um <laughs> Yeah, credit to him and Pitt. I don't know what you're doing, dude. I mean, they led the nation in sacks, and Miami's O line is terrible. Two sacks. I, I still can't believe it. Um, <laughs> um, Pitt is the is the only team um, with uh, the glaring exception of well, no, well, yeah, they're, they're the uh, only team in the uh, coastal that has both scored and allowed less than a hundred points uh, in ACC play, and they're actually minus ten in point differential, and that feels they're, they're minus three in point differential overall and that just feels perfectly pit 
Like that's your six and seven ACC Coastal Champion right there. Yeah, it really, it really does feel that way. But I, this is more proof, by the way, that whenever anybody says like, oh, this game could really decide the Coastal at any point before November, I laugh at them. Yeah, that that's not a thing that happens. No, come on, people. Um, yeah, there's really not much else to say about this game. Um, Miami, Florida State will be a thing that happens yes. as well. Just hearkening back to the old glory days of when both fan bases weren't super mad at their coach. Um, just um, <laughs> real quick, what did you think of uh, Narduzzi kicking the field goal on fourth and one to go up with a go up with a commanding twelve to nine lead late in the game or twelve to ten? <laughs> So I wasn't as angry at that one as I was about the Penn State one, partially because the Penn State one, like you're the underdog, right? You you need to go for the win. Like, don't don't be cowardly and kick a field goal. That's, you know, you still have to score yeah. again. Like, go for the win, dude. Like, go for the, this one. I understood a little bit more because A, it would have given them a lead as opposed to just like cut into a deficit. And then B, their offense wasn't doing anything. Like, there's no way you could have been sure they were getting in at that point, honestly. So I, I, I do. I, I give him a little bit of leeway on that one. But it is a little bit like, really, dude? Yeah. And, and that's just kind of goes back just to reflect on Pitt's whole existence as a team that's never beaten UNC and ACC play. I don't think they've ever lost to Duke. Um, they get real aggressive against UCF and win that game. They kind of go into a shell in this game. Uh, the Penn State game definitely made the wrong call. So, I mean, just a mystery wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a Pramani Brothers sandwich. It's, it's just art. Mm. does sound delicious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that gets us, though, to Florida State and Syracuse. Um Florida State, that, that that game looks way closer than it's supposed to look um, because, like, Syracuse scored 14 points in garbage time. Um, those were pretty meaningless. It was 35-3 to in the fourth quarter. So it, this was a pretty commanding performance by Florida State. Um, and, you know, they, they did what they were supposed to do. Um, Syracuse is terrible. Yes. Like, I'm not, tr- not trying to be rude. That's just it's what it is. <laughs> it's just terrible. Yeah, uh, I, I felt like this game was more about Florida State because it's one where if Willie loses to Syracuse, you really might see him go ahead and get run after this year. Um, so I think he knew that and he just determined the game plan was going to be make Cam Akers the entire team. And that's a really good decision because Cam Akers is just awesome at football. Yes, he is. And he averaged 7.2 per rush, 20 rushes, four touchdowns. He's the best. He's also like, he's like, I feel like he's thrown a pass in a bunch of games. He was two for three for 26 yards. I mean, like, let's be real. Why don't they just split the difference like between Hornybrook and Blackman, who the fans, I know their fans are like arguing over right now. Um, and just go with Akers. Just like have him be your quarterback. Who yeah, that? you could make a really sarcastic yeah. argument that behind that offensive line, Cam Akers should win the Heisman. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm. I'm. It's not entirely. I mean, it's not entirely sarcastic. Um, in the sense that, like, if you want to talk about who's the best running back in this league, I think it's him. And I don't know that it's particularly close. And that's not. That's not a shot at Travis Etienne, who I think is excellent, or AJ Dillon, who's also excellent. But like considering what he's dealing with, yeah, yeah, I think uh, Acres and Etienne are just a cut above everybody else. But uh, beyond that, I mean, there really is some nice running back depth in this conference. But yeah, there, yeah, there's a ton of really good yeah, running. Despite backs, that fumble, sure. Javante, my uh, boy, I gotta give a shout out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the Carolina's got a trio of really good backs. 
Um, yeah, there's there's some really good running states running yeah. backs are good, even though they don't you don't know that know it as much because their line is having a lot of struggles. That's really the theme of the league this year, honestly, is that there are a lot of offensive lines either in transition or well, that's euphemistic. I mean, they're just yes. not very good. <laughs> uh, a lot of bad O line play. A lot of bad O-line play in this conference, and Syracuse is, is the worst of it all, honestly. Yeah, I um, think uh, David Hale, David Hale had a tweet last week where he ranked about six of the league's offensive lines behind uh, traffic cones <laughs> and polite notes not to touch the quarterback. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's about where we're at And at Syracuse, this point. I think, at the, a stat also from Hale was that Syracuse had allowed, I think, the most sacks through seven games in, like, the last 15 years. So, there's that. Um, they're not in good shape right now. For some reason, they're favored over Boston College next week. Um, yeah, I don't get that at that's all. A, that's a no for me. No, thank you. Uh, I would not take Syracuse to beat like almost anyone left on their schedule. They are bad, and it makes me feel bad because I love Dino Babers, but this team is bad. Sorry. I was wrong. Yeah, D- yeah Dino's awesome, but I guess this is just a reflection that they don't quite have the depth to where uh, you know this thing was sustainable after last year, which... It's quite unfortunate, but um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they will bounce back uh, next year or the year after and settle in as a nice six to eight win team before. Yeah. Right, he capitalized on their window last year as about as about as well as you could have asked. Um, they capitalized. They had the kind of season that's a really special season, and then you lose a lot, and you, and you have to kind of start over. So, no, no shame in that. Um, but yeah, and and Willie Taggart saves. Save some ire. Uh, I did see a fan um, was yelling at him, F you. After the Syracuse um, game? Which. That's a choice. Yeah. He won. Like, yeah, come I on, mean, dude. I mean, if not, you look at it, they basically lost to four ranked teams. I mean, it's, it, it's not really that bad. Well, Virginia's not ranked anymore, but um, they were at the time they played. You know, it's. They're just a slightly above or around average team, which is a lot better than they were last year. So, you know, give it, give it time. I mean, they're, yeah, they're on an yes. upward trajectory. Like, it, you know, so uh, that gets us to Virginia and Louisville. I kind of saw this coming, but I didn't want to think it would um, for my Virginia people's sake. Um, although, it's yeah. awesome for Louisville, honestly. Like this is it's so cool to see them playing like this under Scott Satterfield, so much better coached. Um and these kids like having a coach in there that actually gives a crap about them. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I I really thought Louisville's defense would um not be I I thought Louisville's defense would be worse. Let's put it that way. Um, but maybe Virginia's offense is just in a little bit worse shape. Yeah, Virginia's offensive line, uh, stop me if you've heard this before, is awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Louisville being five and three at this point, I mean, that's at most a scathing indictment of uh, Bobby Petrino's work, which I love. I'm I'm here for that all day. Um but yeah, Virginia's offense just doesn't really strike you as one that's going to beat you with the big play, uh, not really going to beat you between the tackles. So, you know, it's all kind of smoke and mirrors and Bryce Perkins. And they contained Perkins in the running game. And that was basically a wrap for the uh, Virginia offense. Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, we talked about Cam Akers being Florida State's whole team, but they, they have some good they have some good receivers. And, and you know, the quarterback play has been fine and, and whatever. But Bryce Perkins really is their whole team at this point. Like they, Virginia just can't get a consistent running game going. And it's just, it's, 
their offense is just sort of stuck in the mud right now. And Bryce Perkins, yeah. I think, is playing a little bit hurt. I think he was actually healthy for a little bit. Then he went out with another injury in this game and he, he powered through it because that's who he is. But I mean, it's gotten to the point where I know even Virginia fans are starting to ask, like, should they put in the backup? Not because he's better than Bryce, but because like he's better than an injured Bryce. And, you know, I mean, they might. Yeah, they really him. might. Um, I, I was going to ask you if he had actually gotten hurt in this game because I was flipping between this one and obviously the UNC Duke game and caught it when they said, and Bryce Perkins is back. So that's a good time for Virginia. So i Assumed he had gone out, didn't really know the nature of that injury. Yeah, I think it was a leg injury because uh, our friend Caroline um, Darney from mm-hmm. Streaking the Lawn and SB Nation uh, texted me um, a curse word. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Because I couldn't see. It. I didn't know what happened. And she told me that he had gotten, ro- ro- like, you know, uh, rolled up on, I believe, yeah. like his knee. Uh, and I think it was the same knee that he'd been wearing the brace yeah, on. Before. that against Miami, so, I think, um, if memory serves. Yeah, I think you're right. And look, it's just there's just a lot on him right now. And I don't know if it's a with as with most offensive struggles, like, for instance, like with NC State and whatever, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. It's never just one thing. It's never just like, oh, you know, it's it's the quarterback or it's the offensive coordinator. I think it's just a, a combination of a bunch of different things right now for them. And they're going to have to sort of dig into their their bag of tricks or whatever. And, and, and before the North Carolina game, because. I mean, it, they looked like the coastal front runners for a while, but they are not looking like that right now. Um, and they're not even looking like they'll beat Virginia Tech. And I think we all assumed that would happen this year. And I don't, well, no, we did not assume that would happen. Those of us who have seen that rivalry assumed it would not happen. But people on paper were like, wow, Virginia looks better than Virginia Tech. They're going to beat them this year. And we assumed yeah, it would logically happen. We assumed logic would take over and Virginia should have a better than 0% chance of beating Virginia Tech, but we know how that goes. Yeah. I was. I think I was a little surprised, and I, this must be a credit to Satterfield as well, at how well uh, Louisville played offensively against what I think is one of the league's better defenses in Virginia. Um, 6.1 yards per play. Uh, they ran for 227 yards, 5 yards a carry. Like, their O-line's no great shakes either, but, you know. They they didn't they ran it a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, and just got whatever they wanted, seemingly. Yeah, Mikhail Cunningham impressed the hell out of me just uh, from a stat line perspective and what of this game I did see. I mean, you know, six of 10 for 126 yards isn't going to win you too many ball games. But what Satterfield's doing is basically what he did with, oh God, what was that guy's name? Um, maybe Lamb was the quarterback before Zach Taylor at app where, you know, he was not a, he was not a super yeah, accomplished I passer. So. Um, I think he was maybe a sophomore when they went up to Knoxville and almost won that game. But you know, basically just kind of turned the offense into a wing T situation where, yes, the quarterback is theoretically a quarterback, but he's going to be a runner first. And you see that 97 yards on 11 carries, um, a 48-yard run and a touchdown separate from that. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch in, you know, just through the lens of what Louisville and their offense is at this point. I mean, he's the front runner for coach of the year right now, right? Satterfield? Satterfield or Clawson? He's Satterfield or Clawson probably. Um, I, I, I'm big on, I mean, Georgia Tech and Louisville were going to be the two dumpster fires this year and Louisville, where they are now, I could not have foreseen coming. Um, you know, Brown's going to get the sympathy vote if the heels pull off the coastal, but I, I think Satterfield should get it all. Yeah, I, I really do too. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule and like, it's not inconceivable that they could win all of their remaining games. I don't think that they will, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like, they're at Miami, they're at NC State, they've got Syracuse at home, and they're at Kentucky. I mean, NC State and Syracuse are 
Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> with the uh, with, with the Boston College uh, with with the Boston College exception, they're probably the two worst teams in the Atlantic. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they don't have a Clemson on their schedule going forward, so that helps. And, and Kentucky has a wide Kentucky has a wide receiver at quarterback, so you know, <laughs> I, I I like I like where they're headed, Virginia. Meanwhile, obviously, still has Virginia Tech um, to end the year, and then they've got at North Carolina next week, which is going to be a big one for them. But then they've got Georgia Tech in between. So obviously, like those two are big for them. If they can, if they can get past North Carolina, that's going to be a big one for them. I think they're going to really look to that as like, okay, you know, this this could make or break their coastal division hopes. If they lose that, I think they're, I don't want to say they're out of it because no one's ever out of it in the coastal, but the, that'll be a tough one to overcome. So that'll be a big one. But. It- yeah, if you assume that Virginia wins at North Carolina and then they play Georgia Tech, which you've, I mean, again, ignoring the laws of the coastal, you assume Virginia is the better team and they win that game. Uh, sitting at five and two, they might have it clinched before Virginia Tech even comes to town anyway. I mean, five, five and two, I mean, five, five and three might win the coastal this year. Regardless. I think five and three does win it if, if somebody can get there, that's for sure. Um, that's the, that's the question though. I don't, I mean, I don't know that I trust anybody in this division to do almost much of anything really at this point, but, um, the only trustworthy team in the ACC is the one that just continues to drop in the polls for some reason. Um, and that's Clemson Mm -hmm. and Clemson did, um, disgusting things to Boston college, um, which like as expected, right. But like, yeah, they, they took care of business. Um, Trevor Lawrence looked great. He didn't have any shaky moments at all. Um, Boston College. I mean, they can, God, like, that's the thing. Like, even you don't even have to qualify for garbage time here. Like, 8.4 yards per play to 2.9 for Boston College. And Boston College's offense is its strength. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you don't even have to be like, well, BC did X in garbage time. No, 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 no. Like, they just dominated this entire game and didn't leave any question uh, about who was the much, much, much better team. And, um, yeah, I mean that's Clemson. Yeah, I'm, I'm on ESPN right now, and these the following things look really cool on a pie chart: six seventy four to one seventy seven total yards, thirty six to ten first downs. Um, I mean, th- this was just an annihilation. I saw a stat: uh, Lawrence since his second pick against Louisville is something like thirty eight for forty eight for five hundred nineteen yards and like five or six touchdowns. Uh, he's still real good. Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, th- this is kind of what Clemson does is they kind of round their way into form. And Dabo's famous for playing a lot of guys early on in the season, you know, keeping everybody engaged and including his, giving, he start- gave his son a rushing attempt. <laughs> Man, the, the nepotism there's a little bit weird for me. <laughs> right, but like all the coaches you know kids play. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you're still uh, trouncing everybody, I guess it's okay. Um, my biggest issue with all of this, though, is Alabama's basically done the same thing yes. all season yes. against similar opposition. And Alabama, you know, well, they just now dropped to number two because LSU's been so good. But they basically just gotten the benefit of the doubt, uh, just sliding by so far. That That's frustrating to me. Yeah, I actually, um, I, I don't understand that either. Um, it, th- look, they've looked really good, but like they haven't played anybody either. Um so I don't know what we're talking about. I guess they didn't have a close game. I mean, that's all I can think of. But still, like, they shouldn't have been that high. Like, if you're going to rank teams highly because of, you know, who they've played and who they've beaten and how they've looked, that honor should probably go to LSU and Ohio State. Like, just be consistent is all I think people want. Like, 
you yes. know, like uh, you want to give Alabama benefit of the doubt. They've certainly earned that, but so is Clemson, you know? Yeah. And, you know, both Bama and Clemson have beaten Texas A&M uh, at home. Well, no, Alabama was on the road. I mean, that's not really going to do it. But besides that, Bama's best win is Tennessee or South Carolina, maybe Duke. I, I guess. I, I don't know, There's- but I agree with you wholeheartedly that Ohio State and LSU are the two best teams I've seen this year. Yeah, and and look, I I didn't understand why like last week was the week that they moved Clemson because like Ohio State beat a really bad Northwestern team, and mm-hmm. Clemson just clobbered Florida State. Like that was one of Clemson's best games from start to finish, and they moved down. And I was like, huh, okay. So I don't know. Yeah, I wonder if it was just because the Ohio State Northwestern game was on a Friday, so a few more people got eyeballs on it. But that's you know that, that that's just kind of a harebrained theory. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it I've seen it sort of stated that like this is almost like Florida State um a few years ago when in twenty fourteen when they were playing but but Florida State played a ton of close games. That's the thing. Yeah, Clemson's played one. Clemson's destroying everybody. Um but it's whatever. They're gonna get into the playoff if they go undefeated. That that's that's just what's gonna happen. So like I saw some people talking about Penn State. Stop. No. no. That's not you want to talk about people have played close games. Well, they played one with Pitt. Like is Pitt is that really not comparable to Carolina and Clemson? And Cle- Clemson's was on the road. So like, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, feel free to put Penn State in if they beat Ohio State and go undefeated. But right, that that'll take care of itself, obviously. But yeah. like, there, yeah, no, stop. Um, apparently, Dabo was in a mood after the game, though, that he started singing "Apple Bottom Jeans, Boots with the Fur" in honor of Clemson O line coach Robbie Caldwell. Apparently, that is his jam. And I was like, <laughs> he's consistently on one. Now, what exactly one um, reflects that changes from week to week and day to day, but he is always on one. That's accurate. That's I think I've that's a really good way to put Dabo because there are definitely times where you're just like Dabo. I need you to like take it from a ten to like a six. Um, I need you to like get some of that like corny dad energy and just dial it back a few notches. You know, he is the most dad of all of the ACC coaches, and it's not close. Like he is the cheesiest dad of all of them. I don't even know who would come in second in that regard. I mean, Cutcliffe kind of gives you like the grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gives you like the very angry, you know, possibly has some repressed conservative issues. Um, grandpa situation just in a vacuum. Again, I say that probably with some bias. Uh, Clawson seems very dad. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But he's like a dad that like always wants to speak to someone's manager. I, I was going to say he's more of a happy-go-lucky, like Ace Hardware employee, Dad. I could kind of see that. He he just he's always struck me as a little bit of a red ass. I don't know why. Um, like just kind of salty. He's got a little salt to him, which is not bad. I mean, most coaches have to have that. Um, and like he's at Wake, so of course he has to have that. But yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't know who would come in second. Dino Baber seems like a really good sitcom dad. Wonderful sitcom dad. He's he's easily the most entertaining uh, person among all these guys to talk to. Um, can we give Jeff Collins like the really intense Little League helicopter Ooh. dad? Yeah, I could totally see that. I also feel like Jeff Collins is the dad that would like try to rap at his daughter's like school dance and his daughter's just like mortified by him. Like, cause he knows all the lyrics to whatever the most popular rap song is. And he, she's like, dad, please. 
Yeah, he would show up and uh, do like three songs of karaoke at a Myrtle Beach uh, beach bar, just unironically at about three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, I could totally see that. But he would do like hardcore rap songs or something, and he would he would use the words. He would. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to go through DMX's whole uh, whole discography here. <laughs> This is well. I don't know. That's not on brand for the ATL part of him, but yeah, um, he would he would like wear. Um, I say this because I also own a Run the Jewels hoodie, but I try to only wear it situationally. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would wear it like to, to pick his daughter up from a party or something, and his daughter would be like, "Dad, why are you like this?" Yeah, he he would run it, but he'd mix up the styles and uh, also have a visor and some M frames. I think. <laughs> He, he with some transition lenses, yeah, and and I don't even think he wears those, but he he strikes me as someone who would. Satterfield gets me more as a transition lenses guy. That's true. He does have that kind of look to him, and I'm sure he's like he's probably a dad, but he doesn't have the dad energy that Dabo does. Like no one does. No, no one has hit Dabo's dad energy. Um, Justin Fuente strikes me as the dude that would like the dad that would like uh, have a gun in his hand or something when it, when a guy came to pick up yes. his daughter for a date. I, I was like, going to say exactly. That that was exactly where I was going to go with Fuente. <laughs> just um, just the um, old front porch rocking chair shotgun. Y'all have a nice time. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know if he'd say that. He probably like wouldn't even say anything, and he would just like glare. <laughs> um, but Manny Diaz kind of resembled. No, uh, it is not Manny Diaz at all. I was about to say uh, he resembled Tuco uh, Salamanca, but that man, that that's a miss. Uh, that, no, that that was that a, a that, that was a Todd Orlando that. <laughs> That kind of does, I think. I, I, I tweeted about this. It was like two years ago. Um, it's definitely not Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz looks like he would be the cool dad. Yeah, yeah, he does kind of. Yeah, I could see him being the cool dad. Uh, Willie Taggart looks like, um, what was that guy's name from Family Matters? It's who he kind of reminds me of. like Carl Winslow? Well, not the dad, though. Like the character he would be like the uncle that like comes in for comic relief no it wasn't an uncle on family matters it was that guy waldo that's who i'm thinking of but he would come in as like the 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 like the dopey uncle that like makes mistakes and like you know he's the comic relief of the sitcom of dino baber's dad sitcom <laughs> man I, I we we need to put this into the to existence uh, the acc network's going to be needing some content uh, here coming the spring. Yeah, like uh, speaking of AC Network, and I, I didn't get a chance to say this, but Mark Richt had a heart attack last week, not long after I recorded um, my Monday podcast. Um, like thoughts and prayers and all of that stuff for him because he's been so wonderful at ACC Network. He did say he'd be back to work this week. Thankfully, he was not. Thankfully, someone talked some sense into him. But we hope he continues to get well. And I think he would have had the second most dad energy behind Dabo had he still been a coach. Um, for sure. Yeah, uh, having had some personal interaction with Rick back in my time at Georgia, he, he he brings you the aloof dad energy, which is something that we haven't really uh, found a spot for yet in this uh, in this little breakdown. Oh, I like that. I love that. Like, hey, hey, here's here's ten dollars. Go see a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm, Go I'm, see a Star Wars. <laughs> Shout out to Anyong. Um, <laughs> and then. We can't have a dad discussion, and I, I know this is dragging on this bit. But uh, Steve Adazio, what what are we going to do with? Oh, what are we going to do with dudes? I feel like Steve Adazio is like more. He has more uncle energy to me than dad, and he's like 
your uncle that's like bit like is a war veteran and like tells you all these war stories all the time. Well, not not only war stories, but he also tells you how cool he was 20 years ago. He's kind of like the Uncle Rico, I feel like. Yes. And he I feel like he's the type of guy that would buy those like HD tactical sunglasses. <laughs> That we have not seen on any ads on the ACC network at all, all season. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And, and Narduzzi, he, he's a dad, I guess, but like he's an angry dad. Um, uh, no. He's like, Narduzzi got he's married. like a get off the ship. Narduzzi got married at 19, divorced at 26, and then <laughs> just, just lived the rest of his life. Yeah. Okay, I can kind of see that. But if he were if he were a dad, like he would totally be like the dad with like anger management issues. Um. Yeah he, he would <laughs> he he would be the he would be the lawyer with a pill addiction. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, okay. Uh, to legal, I am not saying that Pat Narduzzi has a pill addiction. Do not at me. Um, this is like a blank looks like blank type of situation. This yes. is not a like, this is like fan fiction. This is nothing else than that. Yeah, this is Dave Doran is actually a dad, but he doesn't strike me with like a ton of dad energy. Unless like, actually, you know what? He's like dad sitting outside a store at the mall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just kind of sitting at the kiosk. Um, maybe his daughter comes back out and says, Hey, you know what? Check out this, uh, very glitzy iPhone uh, cover that I bought you. Just, you know, very... Yeah. I don't know. Dave Doran kind of reminds me of my dad. So I don't, I don't really want to go into that one too Interesting. much. Yeah, just very yeah. aloof. And, um, you know, whatever's going through his head, it ain't going through anybody else's head. Like, he just strikes me as those, like, when you see the men, like, sitting outside on couches outside of stores or whatever, like, just, like, surrounded by shopping bags waiting for... <laughs> the shopping to be done by their families. I, I almost, I, I literally, but you, you really shouldn't like take pictures of people without their permission, obviously. But I did want to start a Tumblr of like sad dads at the mall. Um, Cause it's a, it's a whole genre. It really is sad dads or sad husbands that are just like sitting there surrounded by shopping bags, like just looking depressed and despondent. Just beaten. I mean, at, at that point you have lost. Yeah. And they just want to be like anywhere else. And I, I, if I could take pictures of people without their permission, I would do that, but I don't want to do that. That's not a nice thing to do, but yeah, that's Dave Doran for sure. I feel like, are we, have we, that's like all of, almost all the AC coaches, right? Um, I think we've yeah. touched on everybody, but Bronco, I don't, I, I don't really want to get into that. <laughs> I don't, I feel like I know the least about him of all of the coaches. I've said that before, but I, I just do. Yeah. He is like, man, he, I, I, I don't even know. Like, mystery like mystery uncle i've heard good things from people who cover him yeah mystery uncle that left after high school and uh went to, went out west and never came back right like he's a rancher or something not to get too on the nose but yeah <laughs> yeah i mean not not to not to just leave it right in that region of the country but yes well i mean you know his name is bronco so like <laughs> and his son is named colt oh wait really um, okay. They, they did this bit on full cast at some point, but okay. they, but his, his kids uh, but do have weird names. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what their names uh, were. Raider, Cutter, and Breaker. I am not making that up. Do they play? R-A-E-D-E-R, Cutter, Breaker. Do they play either quarterback or lacrosse? I would have to say they probably play esports. Okay. 
Like, what else can they do? Like, there's no, you know, I, the, what else do you do with those names? Like, you're destined to fulfill a certain career path, I feel like. Yeah, you belong on the Globo Gym dodgeball team. <laughs> yes, either that or like a lacrosse star for sure. And they're definitely in a, a good place for that now. Um, yeah. Maybe that's why he took that job. He knew his children had lacrosse names and they needed to be in a lacrosse market. I think we just answered a question that I've been asking myself for four years. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to get you out of here on that. Uh, Chad, tell people where they can find you. Um, I do some writing. I do a lot of podcasting at TarHillBlog.com or the Tar Hill Blog podcast. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Chad underscore Floyd. Again, if you're not related to Pat Narduzzi and you know, <laughs> don't want to talk about pill addictions. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, Lauren, it has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much. See y'all later this week.